All right. Uh, for today's session, this is going to be a very, very important session because we're going to really try to nail down the external entailment issue, which is, <clears throat> which is absolutely critical. I'm going to begin today, though, by um, reading to you a couple of emails that I recently received about the class, interestingly enough. <clears throat> Here's one from a guy named Stephen Goodrich. He says, uh, it doesn't say, he says, uh, my name is Stephen Goodrich and I have been watching your class on biblical hermeneutics on iTunes. Also, a friend of mine and I are going through your Greek class through iTunes as well. Thank you for making these available. Then he goes on to talk about that business we discussed on the salt of the earth. And what, what, um, uh, uh, what features, characteristics of salt are being focused upon if it's used metaphorically. He brings up that uh, Luther includes the characteristic of bite or the sharp pain that salt inflicts when rubbed into a wound or the eyes. And he's got a quote there. <clears throat> so very interesting. That's another one of the factors that we weren't even looking at when we were doing the metaphor. Interesting response. Uh, then uh, Kit Bourne, who is the uh, technical genius here, uh, said this, and I wanted to make sure that the whole class heard this. This is very nice. Gentlemen, I just watched the Finnish debate from the hermeneutics class on iTunes U. It really came off well, and I was impressed with the class and the way both sides handled the topic. Well done. So, you know, here's a guy who's uh, kind of up on the way stuff is actually presented on the web. It's uh, very nice. So my compliments. That was a wonderful uh, debate, and everybody was well prepared, which is the key thing. <clears throat> now, as far as the, I, uh, the external entailment, uh, business is concerned. Um, let, uh, let me begin here. We, we had a pretty good introduction last time. Look at this cartoon from Shu, which is uh, uh, kind of a cute cartoon. I had to leave my last job. I had a female boss who kept making embarrassing, suggestive remarks. Suggestive remarks. Now, there's an adjective but it's got a verbal component to it. She kept suggesting I clean out my desk. So what, what suggestive of what? What was she suggesting? That's the external entailment. And the word suggestive itself has a given meaning. The external entailments will change by the context. <clears throat> um, here is a chapel homily by Jeff Gibbs, Professor Gibbs, back in 1994, on Psalm 32. <clears throat> and uh, uh, listen to the way he handled this. Now, he didn't know at the time he was doing external entailment. Okay? He and I had a nice conversation about this. But listen to what he says. Psalm 32 begins blessed. Then it comes again, blessed. This person is blessed whose transgression is covered, whose sin is forgiven, to whom the Lord does not reckon count his iniquity. Blessed, whole, at peace, this man, this woman. This one is blessed. 
in whose spirit, now this is the key, listen to this, in whose spirit there is no deceit. Now he goes on, wait, how can there be no deceit if this blessed man is one who has transgression, sin, iniquity, and need of God's merciful pardon? In whose spirit there is no deceit? The Septuagint might have gotten it right, in whose mouth there is no deceit. Now watch what he does. Here's the move. No self-deceit. So what you have here I'm going to ask you to change seats with Mr. Wood. <clears throat> Mr. Oblivion, would you please come up here? We'll see if that does anything. Okay. My Lord, Mr. Trained Oblivion sitting right up in front. This is you bet. Now listen to how he develops this. This business of in whose mouth there is no deceit. No self-deceit. So deceit is related to deceiving. Who is deceiving whom? Okay? So what he's done is explored around on the external entailment of the concept, verbal concept, of deceiving. Jeff continues. He's telling himself the truth about his sin. He's not hiding it from God. He is talking to God. Blessed is this person, this man, this woman, because the silence is gone and he is talking to God and the self-deceit, the self-deception is gone from his spirit and his mouth. Now what he was doing in that sermon then, essentially, was trying to work out what the external entailment was of the noun, verbally based, deceit. This happens all the time in interpretation. You come up with a noun like faith, or love, or ministry, or an adjective like called. And the, the majority of arguments swirl around the external entailments. They don't swirl around what is the meaning of deceit. I mean, that's, that's not at issue. Everybody knows what that means. You can find that in the dictionary. But it's the external entailments. <clears throat> now, I'd like you to notice how at times... You will see, I'm coming to something more contemporary now than interpreting the scriptures. You will actually see 
the big giant blanks of external entailment be exploited rhetorically. <clears throat> How many of you have ever been to Oklahoma City? Oh, quite a few. All right. How many of you have been to that memorial site with the blowing up of the federal building? All right. Pretty impressive. Very impressive site. Now, I was there a number of years ago. And there is a, uh, uh, there's a tree called the Survivor Elm. So this tree here. And then there's a wall like this. The, the part with the building is way over here. And on the inside of the wall is an inscription. Now, it's very interesting. Here's what the inscription was. The spirit of this city and this nation will not be defeated. Our deeply rooted faith sustains us. I'm going to read that last part again. Our deeply rooted faith sustains us. Faith in what? So there... They're appealing to a whole host of different people by purposely leaving the external entailment ambiguous. Is it our faith in God? Our faith in one another? Our faith in community? Our faith in the goodness of man, finally? Our faith in uh, this nation and its might? Uh, you know, what is it that you're talking about in terms of external entailment? We know what faith means. We believe in something. But you leave that blank there, all of a sudden you get to appeal to a whole range of people who are doing what? Filling in the blanks. Filling in the blanks themselves. <clears throat> okay. Now, uh, I'm going to get on specifically to our exercises before I do that, let's just, and also for the people watching here, uh, let's just take a look at a noun that's very common in our context, ministry. Now, there is an outstanding example of a verbally based noun. To minister to. Ministry. Oh, boy. You're off to the races. Who is doing the ministering? How? To whom? For what purpose? In whose name? All kinds of stuff like that. You can fill all these in. <clears throat> now, let's take a couple of combinations that you have all heard. Youth ministry. Okay? So if we put the word youth in front, what's actually happened here? I would put it like this. One of the many external entailment possibilities has actually been articulated. Okay? It's actually come to the surface. You get to see it. And this is ministry to whom? To whom? 
though I guess it would be possible to use the phrase youth ministry with youth in the subject slot of to minister. That the youth go out and do witnessing. See, now what's happened is you'd say the phrase sort of has a different meaning, but really, if you want to be technical about it, here's what's actually happened. <clears throat> the word youth has gone into a different slot in the underlying sentence. So you have X <coughs> ministers to Y about or regarding Z at location X, uh, or A rather, um, uh, for purpose B uh, at time when C, and so forth. So what happens when you have another noun that is associated with that verbally based noun is it's going to be X, Y, Z, A, B, C, something like that is going to sort of like something from below the surface popping up and become visible in the structure of the sentence. Here's the key to this thing. You gotta figure out which one of those it is. So the phrase youth ministry could be in slot X or it could be in slot Y. Youth ministry could be the people who do it or it could be to whom. All right? So what we do, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit here. But I think at this point we are at a teaching moment. Okay. So I'm just getting ahead of myself, but we take one of these external entailments and put it next to the verbally based noun. We stand it next to it and generally in front of it in the same case, like youth ministry, like that. What Greek does is it takes that item and puts it in the genitive. So an equivalent in Greek would be ministry of youth. Now we do that genitive sometimes with a phrase like love of God. Not God love. Love of God. Or if I say love of my wife inspires me. Is that my love for her? Or her love for me. See, that, that's the same kind of idea. But most of the time, we don't use genitives. We usually just stand it next to it in front of it. Now, let's try this one. Campus ministry. Okay? Same thing. We stand the word campus in front. Now, it's not A, and it's not, I mean, sorry, it's not X, and it's not Y. It's A. It's where you're doing your ministry on the campus. Now, how about this one? Now we start getting tougher. Motorcycle ministry. Now, what would that be? 
motorcycle ministry. JB? A blessing. <laughs> a blessing. Take your hand away from your face and speak like a man. Yes? A blessing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but what, how, how would you, give me the long hand for motorcycle ministry. Well, let me, let's ask first. Is there anybody in this room who has not heard the phrase motorcycle ministry? Chet, you haven't. Now, I, usually there are a couple. You have not heard this phrase before. Okay. Well, then let's try him. What do you think it means? I think of a pastor on a motorcycle going places. Uh, you, you mean like out in the country? Well, like he'd go to bikers or something, but a pastor who ministers like on a like a missionary on a motorcycle, seriously, that's what I... A ministry on a motorcycle. <clears throat> now, are you doing that as, as sort of a double entendre way also to other people who ride motorcycles? Yeah, kind of, kind of like... Okay, uh, what do you think it means? Yeah, I mean, basically that. But I've never been in one, so I don't know. Okay, okay. Um, Anybody have another opinion on this motorcycle? Yeah, Billy. Think of like a, a, maybe a specific church has a group of people that all have motorcycles, so they get together as a type of fellowship and call it their motorcycle ministry. Okay. All right. Good. Good. Uh, so they get together <clears throat> and uh, encourage one another to do Bible studies or something. Okay. Yeah. I was in Daytona Beach during <clears throat> Bike Week where there were thousands of bikers, and um, one of them had a Jesus bike. It was a, like a light blue motorcycle, and on the back it had pamphlets about Jesus. Okay. And so he was trying to minister in that way. <clears throat> okay, so he was trying to minister in that way. Right. Now, uh, I would say, with, with these opinions right here, this is generally, in our situation, what motorcycle ministry is going to mean. People who... Minister, now notice, not minister to motorcycles, but in a, well, what would you, what would you say in a Bronx, like metonymic way? Because it'd be a metonymy. You'd be ministering to people who ride motorcycles, right? So you're not ministering to the cycle, but to the people associated with the motorcycle. So notice how we got a metonymy in there? So it's in, it's in Y, but it's, it's a metonymy to Y. And then maybe you're doing the same thing sort of in X. Because, just like you're thinking here, you're on the motorcycle and you're handling the pamphlets out or something like that. Right. So notice how complicated this gets. Let's just simplify it at least to this point of saying motorcycle ministry is ministry to folks who ride motorcycles. You're not ministering to the cycle, but to the people associated to the cycle with the cycle. So you have why, except it's a metonymy on why. Now, the next part I'm going to say relates to this linguistic net and how far it may be cast. What I just told you is not the case in Papua New Guinea. In Papua New Guinea, different culture. Motorcycle ministry means you ride a motorcycle to get around to remote places where Jeeps can't get. You're not ministering to people on motorcycles at all. It's just your mode of transportation. So you might say 
Here, well, I have to put this up now. By means D. It's D. Motorcycle ministry means you're ministering by means of your motorcycle. And this is a reminder, as I was saying in the book, that you need a common socio-cultural context in order to do this. Because what you're trying to do is fill out the longhand of that shorthand. This is extreme shorthand for that longhand. Now, just think of this. Just think of passages you know in the New Testament. So Paul will talk about something like, you know, an apostle of the gospel. Well, apostle is verbally based. Gospel is verbally based with oion galizomai to tell the good news. And you just have this heaping up of these verbally based nouns. And so much of your interpretation is going to involve getting the external entailments out on this stuff. Okay, go ahead. All right, so in a situation like this in Greek, <clears throat> would the dative be used in order to describe like the... No, no. It'll all be in the genitive. Yes. See, well, you wouldn't say it's genitive of means. I mean, I think that's just silly. You know, what's happening is... In that genitive, it is expressing means because it's just sort of un, you're unmasking the external entailment is all that's happening. So the other cases are not going to make their appearance by case in a lot of times. Right, right, right. Uh, <clears throat> now, let's take the last one and Lord help us for this. Now we've progressed beyond motorcycle ministry clown ministry. Now, is there anyone who has not heard the phrase clown ministry? Oh, that's quite a few people. Kenneth, you've not heard this. All right. What do you suppose that external entailment is? Like kind of a bunch of clowns. It's what? Like it's like a bunch of clowns similar to a motorcycle ministry. That's what you mean ministering to the clowns? Well, just a bunch of people dressed up as clowns. <laughs> dressed up as clowns, okay. Anybody have any different thought on this? Clown ministry. Ministering to like, uh, like jokesters, pranksters, you know what I mean? Like yeah. Mis mischievous children. Yeah, okay. So ministering to clown-like people, something like that. Any other one? I suppose it could also be like a, a small group of clowns at the circus, like before they go out in the circus and like... Exactly. Kind of like youth ministry. Yeah, ministry actually to clowns. Right. And there's at least one more possibility. Andy? I'm thinking um, clowns uh, to, I don't know, inspire kids at a hospital or something like that. Well, that's what Kyneth was talking about, dressing up like clowns. Right. Um, I think there's at least one more. A number of years ago, a guy, when I was teaching at Fort Wayne, came up with another one. And that is, a guy whose ministry is a joke. It's a clown ministry. Uh, he, he's really not doing a good job, something like that. All right, now, we've got several possibilities. We have the ministry to clowns, like at the circus. 
We have a ministry to people who are acting like this. We have a ministry dressing up. Now ask yourself this. If you saw this written, how would you go about determining what the external entailment relationship is? Well, you would have to find a sentence somewhere that used ministry as a verb, like so-and-so is ministering to these people before they go on stage or in the big top. Or so-and-so is ministering in the guise of after he dresses up as a clown or comes with his clown suit or something like that. You're going to have to have, this is my point, longhand someplace. At some place, you've got to know the longhand. This is our problem with dealing with Greek. We don't sufficiently know longhand. Because why? We're not native speakers of the language. So essentially, this is why, we're going to go on to that in a second, this is why we use the concordance and look at other usages. But right now, I'm just trying to illustrate the fact that you know what a phrase like youth ministry means because you've heard a sentence, Tim is ministering to the youth of the congregation. If you have no idea, or it's just like motorcycle ministry. If you have not heard so-and-so is ministering to the bikers, you're not going to know what that is. Now, by the way, as normally used, clown ministry in our circles tends to be your meaning. Dressing up like clowns and illustrating the Trinity with three balloons or something like that. Right, exactly. But these are, you know, I would say that what you guys said could be equally likely. You got a question back here. Yeah. Are you okay? <laughs> yeah, they stopped. <laughs> well, it's because we did the scare tactic. Okay? <laughs> so is this the point where word studies actually become helpful? Uh-oh. Uh -oh. It's the C. It's the it's cursed. Wood, it's cursed, isn't it? See, I mean, you know, I'm telling you, you're you're prepared here, and he is just what what's it? Well, he's just absorbing bad vibes back there or something. Yeah, no, that's right. No. Well, Let's say only in a way, all right? So we're, what we're going to do is we're going to take a look now. <clears throat> we're going to take a look at number 12, Clay Tuss, call. Before we get into that, would you say that longhand is basically the definition of the shorthand word? No, no. It is a longhand of a full sentence. See, this is where we've got to get woodism out of our mind here. Is this, if you say like motorcycle ministry, you're not defining ministry. Ministry just is people serving someone else. But the longhand would be the definition of motorcycle ministry. 
of the phrase, not necessarily the word. Um, uh, is shorthand just one word, or can it be? All right, the long the long hand would be the instead of saying definition, let's say the meaning. the The meaning, the long hand is the meaning of the phrase expressed in longhand. Yeah, it's the meaning of the phrase expressed in its fullness. So can a, sh um, a shorthand, could like it be youth a ministry. phrase? Yeah. Yeah, okay, what about that? It can be a phrase. It can't, it's not just the word ministry, but it could be youth ministry. Well, it all, now, now listen up here to this. Um, Grayson's asking here about this. This is the engine room of the whole thing, ministry. What you're sort of trying to figure out is how does this concept relate to that concept? So you are, to speak kind of casually, you are trying to figure out the syntax. See, that, that's really what you're trying to do. So you are trying to see that full sentence that's being assumed in, with, and under youth ministry. Now, if it's a standard phrase like youth ministry, I guess you could use a phrase like it's the definition of it. I guess you could. Uh, but just realize what you're really doing is you're giving the long hand of this thing. That, that, that's really what you're doing. Yeah. Would external entailment be the same thing as longhand, or would it be a type of longhand? Um, uh, the external entailment, um, yeah, I think you could say that longhand is external entailment articulated. That'd be, that's the way I would say it. So when you articulate what the external entailments are, who's doing the ministry, to whom, where is he doing it, all that, you are giving the long hand. That's articulating the external entailments, right? Bringing them to light. A yeah, Andy. When you were referring to campus ministry, you referred it to as a location. Mm -hmm. But wouldn't that also be the whatever word you use to mean the people at the campus, as you said, motorcycles, you, you put that into why. Did you not? Motorcycle ministry? Uh, with metonymy. Right, metonymy. Yeah, yeah. So wouldn't that be the same case with campus? Put that in there? Yo, well, see, I'm, I'm willing to engage all these arguments with you. Yeah, yeah, you could say that. See, the difference is motorcycle is not a location. You know, not in the same way campus is. So I think usually when you say campus ministry, you're thinking of being there. However, I will give you this. You are thinking that you're ministering to people on the campus, and this is true, Andy, your location need not be on the campus. Yeah, it could be town gown. Right. So in, in that case, this would be this, and by metonymy, the people. Right. And it is that complicated. See, it is that complicated. And we use this on an everyday basis. We use these kind of phraseology, see? And, but we kind of know the longhand for everything. And all of a sudden, though, you come up to something like clown ministry, and you're not sure. And why aren't you sure? Haven't seen the longhand. Didn't get the paragraph where the guy used the verb. 
You see, and that and that's part of the problem. By the way, here's another really good example of the sociocultural context: garage sale. Now, what does that mean, garage sale? Have to have married guys do this, because single guys don't go to garage sales. All right, uh, all right, Bill. Okay, so all the craps out of the house and it's in front of the garage or something like that, right? Like yard sales, the same thing. All right, now, I have seen, though, the few times I've been to the Northwest, Oregon, Washington, that they actually have sales on garages. So they would have a garage sale, and you could get a uh, two-car garage for so-and-so amount of price, a couple of thousand bucks, and then you have to put it together or something like that. Now, you're in a lumbering area. They would have the lumber for this. If you're not in a lumbering area, there's no way that, that garage sale means that it's the object and you're literally selling the garage. So you have to, and you know, I would say here, let me just, uh, just as long as we're on this and at a teaching moment, uh, when, when we talked about how far may the linguistic net be cast, this is why you've got to be in the same sociocultural setting. Some of that's geographical. Some of that is sort of sociological, like Christians talking to each other. Jewish Christians talking to each other. Jewish Christians from Galilee, that's even closer. But let's go the other way. Jewish Christians, Christians as such, Christians, um, uh, or not as such, but Christians in the, uh, 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 what do you call it, Eastern Mediterranean part of the world, then Christians at large. And this works sort of like the levels of signifiers. The further out you get, the less hard it is. I mean, hard, you know, uh, sure, the less sure it is. The further out you get, so like garage sale, you know, saying garage sale in Washington, D.C. just might not be the same as um, Bellingham, Washington. Uh, it's other part of the country. One is, uh, you know, the more pine forested area and stuff. The other one's in the city. Might be different. So, so you have to decide how far the linguistic net may be cast. However, this is a major point, though, that is, that is worth emphasizing, and that is, this is essentially a linguistic phenomenon. It's not essentially like a religious phenomenon. So you use the word garage sale. The atheist uses the word garage sale. Then the agnostic uses garage sale. And you're not talking particularly religious stuff. You all live in the St. Louis area. Hey, it's probably going to have the same longhand. Probably going to have the same longhand. So this is why, in that exercise, when I talked about Paul and Apostolos, you figure. It's not from Paul's own writing, but it is from Luke in Luke-Acts, and it's Paul speaking. And Luke was an associate of St. Paul. Hey, that's kind of close enough for government work here. So uh, 
you basically, well, how do you do it? You go from the guy's own writing, I mean the same letter, to the guy's own set of writings. Then if it's a gospel, let's say, to the synoptics, then the New Testament, then the whole Bible, you use the Septuagint. If you can't get something there, maybe you go to secular Epictetus or some secular literature or something like that. So um, uh, you have to, the further out you get, the more diluted the evidence becomes, but it beats guessing. It beats guessing. And if your context does not help you, you have to use something. Okay, now, with this business of calls, I want to begin by looking at this document. This is a study document that was put out by the Commission on Theology and Church Relations by the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod in 90. And it is a theological statement of mission and Bible study. Now, interestingly enough, on page 29, the following thing is said. Look down here in this last paragraph. Paul identifies himself as a servant, a slave, an apostle, and as set aside. Discuss each of these terms. How are they related? How do they apply to every Christian? Whoa! Hold on! We've got serving, sending with a, um, a, a fully, you know, as a fully powered ambassador being set aside, there are loads of external entailments here. You can't just transfer it to a whole bunch of other people so that the two slot is the same guy. And look at the last one. In what way is every Christian called to be a missionary? You know what? Maybe not. Because Paul is called, you are called, Peter is called, are they all called to the same thing? Is that slot in the long hand identical in terms of external entailment? This study is assuming that it is. I would submit that that is a highly dangerous way to proceed. That you can simply assume that all of the external entailment slots are filled in exactly the same way. Now, how do we proceed to do something about this? A number of your papers said, hey, please go through how we're supposed to do all this. Now, just taking the New Testament here, uh, and you can get some of this stuff online, but here's, here's sort of your key book, which is on the book list, your Moulton Geden Concordance to the Greek New Testament, and this is a uh, newly revised 6th edition. I. Howard Marshall is the editor. Um, this is by T.N.T. Clark. And this is a concordance, which means all of the usages of a given word are listed with some context. <clears throat> so let me just put up here, the, um, th this would be the, uh, the title page inside. Now, Taking this, if you go now to page 556 and you get the word kaleo, 
call. Now remember, we are dealing with this business in Romans. Uh, open your Bibles to Romans. Let's do this here um, in a more organized way. Romans 1. And in particular, you can see here where this is going with that CTCR study document. In verse 1, we have Claytus, a called apostle. <clears throat> now look at verse, verse 7. Called saints. Now they're making this move in the document. Paul's called, we're called, we're all called to the same stuff. Dubious. Because these words are standing as, well, they're, they're almost kind of like this, guys. They're almost like tips of icebergs with five-sevenths of the thing being below the water. And what you're trying to figure out is all the stuff below the water. So, the way to handle this is with a concordance. This is your first first method of doing this. We've got kaleo. Now, there's a whole bunch of passages here that are of real interest to us. And um, the first thing I want you to notice, I'm going to move the, I'm going to, uh, move the page down. When we are looking for Claytus, we go to the verb we do not go to the adjective. Why? We're trying to find the underlying sentence that's going to expose, in longhand form, the external entailments. Yes, Ozzy. So, but <clears throat> this isn't a word study because we're looking for external entailments? Yes, because I am not trying to find out what kaleo means. Yeah, kaleo means somebody calls somebody. Right. We're not worried about that. Right. Um, well, I guess, Gonzalez, I guess let's do an external entailment on the word study in the phrase word study. Okay? What is it that you are studying? What is the purpose? I am studying a word for. Okay? Now, if you think that the external entailment of study is, I'm studying it for its real meaning, its universal meaning, its big meaning, then that's wrong. If what you are studying it for is to see its usages in various contexts, to help you to see the external entailment in this context, then I can probably agree to it. But that's not the normal external entailment that people have when they say, I'm doing a word study. They mean, I want to find out what this word really means or what its, what its uh, original meaning was, you know, something along those lines. If you're going to say, oh, I'm doing a word study, I'd have to speak in longhand in order to explain what I was talking about. To me, you would. Right, right. Okay. Now, I'm telling you, Oz, 
this is where so much of the mischief is, is precisely on external entailment issues in all languages like this. It's absolutely amazing. All right, now. Um, with the calling of the holy people of God or the saints, mm -hmm. um, one use of call that O is in Mark chapter 1, verse 20, okay. where Jesus calls the initial disciples and they're ordinary people and they're called to follow Jesus. They're called to follow Jesus. Okay, good, good. Oh, now by the way, before you go further, let me just say, Oz, this goes back to your word study thing. Um, here's one thing you'll find when you look at Kaleo. One thing you're going to find is their kaleo does play in two different semantic fields. One is what you said, Mark, summon. Summon somebody to something. But call also plays in the semantic field of naming. Like Simon called Peter. Now that's not summon. That's named Peter. So, Oz, what you would do here is you would see, oh, smokes, we got two things going. Kaleo is in the field of naming. It's also in the field of summoning. All the ones where it's in the field of naming, we don't consider for this. Okay? We do consider the ones, if Paul's a called apostle, it doesn't mean Jesus was going around going, apostle, apostle. You know, it's not like that. So, he is called to be an apostle. It's summoned. So we have to put that in there. This is why this is an interesting example, because there will be a whole bunch of examples, Mark, of kaleo that don't apply at all since they're in a different semantic field. All right, now you've got that one. Does somebody, has somebody come up with some other ones, other passages to look at? Okay. First uh, Corinthians 1.9. Ah, what did you find there? It says, God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ. Very good. We've got it right here. Through whom you were called into koinonia or fellowship. Now, by the way, notice fellowship of his son. So you translated that with, we got that same thing, koinonia and son. You know, you're going to have, you can do some work there. But let's just, uh, let's cut the Gordian knot and let's just do what you did there. But I like what you did. So you have fellowship, you were called into fellowship with his son. Good. That is 1 Corinthians 1, 9. All right? Any other passages? So let's just take a look here. Let's circle that. 1 Corinthians 1, 9. Okay? Mark. I had a Galatians 1, 6, and it says, I am astonished that you are, are so quickly deserting him who called, you in the, who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Okay. Now, I think that is a valid one. Um, it doesn't really detail to what you were being called. See, 
the first Corinthians passage does. You are called into fellowship with his son. I mean, I'm not saying it's illegitimate, but there's a, just kind of a blank there. You were called, um, let's see, that was uh, one six here. The one who called you in, in grace. Let's go on to another one. Uh, yeah, okay, Dallas. There's Ephesians chapter 4, verse 4. Okay. Uh, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. Just as you were called to one hope. All right, you were called in one hope of your calling. You can see it right here. You were called in one hope of your calling. So we can maybe say something like, you're called for hope, something like that, okay? Anybody else have some different ones? That was good. There are some other ones that are equally as good as the 1 Corinthians 1 passage. Yes? Acts 2, verse 39 says, For the promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God shall call to himself. Call to himself. I'm, I'm looking, though, for called for something. Yeah. Uh, you know, again, this is sort of like Mark's. It's not illegitimate. It's not helping us with that external entailment. All right, let's take a look here at Galatians 5. Look at this one right here. Galatians 5, verse 13. For you were called for freedom. You were called for freedom. Okay? Look at 1 Thessalonians 4, 7 right here. For God did not call you for akatharsia, impurity, but he called you in holiness, it goes on. And then let's take a look at 2 Thessalonians 2.14. Unto which also he called you through the gospel. Now, we're going to have to take a look. Let's look in our Bible. Sometimes you're going to have to just see a little bit more context. Go, please, to 2 Thessalonians 2.14. So when you see these, then you sometimes have to explore just a little bit further. Okay. 2 Thessalonians 2.14, page 540. Now we have to back up just a little bit into 13. Hylata is from, Hylata uh, is from Hyreo. For God picked you out as a first fruit for salvation in holiness of the Spirit and, well, watch this, faith of the truth. Boy, there, there we go, faith of the truth. Got some work to do there with that genitive. So you have in holiness of spirit and faith of the truth, unto which also he called you, or for which also he called you through our gospel, for a peripoiesin, for a... Um, possession of glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So he called you through the gospel for possession of glory. Now, it's very interesting. What sort of things are people called to? What did you have back there in 1 Corinthians? To fellowship with his son, correct? Then we had in Galatians, he called you for freedom. In 1 Thessalonians, 
you were called not in impurity, but in holiness. And now in 2 Thessalonians, uh, you were called uh, for salvation in holiness of the Spirit for a possession of hope. I just went through those four things. Oddly enough, in what I just mentioned to you, what does it seem like you're not particularly called for? Now think about what this is saying in these external entailment unloaded sentences. You're called for fellowship with his son. You're called in holiness. You're called for possession of hope. You are called not in impurity, but in holiness. Hey, Josh. You're not called to be disciples, or you're not called to go out and do stuff in the world. You're called into the church. Okay, okay. Strangely enough, when you do an external entailment investigation, what it looks like the people of God are primarily called to is fellowship with Christ and holiness in living. Oddly, we do not have external entailment evidence that you are called to be the same kind of evangelist St. Paul was. Now look, I'm not saying you're not supposed to be spreading the gospel. What I am saying is the principal calling of the Christian seems to be, from this study, actually, Mark, I'll go back to yours. Follow me. Fellowship with his son. Holiness of living. Now, I, I want to make sure that we're going to get the focus off of something that's not right. And that is, Somebody standing up and saying, are you saying we shouldn't be preaching the gospel? I'm not saying that. Here's what I am saying. The thing that we seem to be specifically called to, we don't talk about. That we are called to holiness, not to impurity, and to that kind of fellowship with his son. So, how is, how is our call the same at St. Paul's? The answer is, it's not. The call of the people of God is first and primarily to fellowship with the Savior and holiness as the people of God. Now take a look at first, uh, sorry, Galatians 1. Galatians 1. And... Uh, Look, I've got it here on the screen. Galatians 1, 15, God who called through his grace. Let's take a little larger look at that. And look at what St. Paul says. Got a bunch of notes in here. But when God was pleased, the one who separated me from the womb of my mother and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me in order that I might engage in preaching him among the Gentiles. That's call, Paul's call. That is his call. 
you see, so in other words, we've done this external entailment study. We find the verbs. You let those sentences run out. We're finding the longhand sentences. That's what we're doing. We're finding the longhand sentences. So, is it accidental that in Romans 1, verse 7, it's called saints? Called holy ones? No. That hagios is just reflecting the external entailment of kaleo when the object of kaleo is the general people of God. When the object of kaleo is specifically St. Paul, then... You notice Paul says two things. I'm going to take this in very literally. Look at that Greek text that we just looked at. He called me through his grace to reveal his son NMOA in me in order that I might engage, note it's a present subjunctive, that I might engage in proclaiming him as good news among the nations. In Paul, in Paul, Christ himself was revealed, and this is why he says in Colossians 1.24, I fill up in my body the sufferings of Christ. He says in, in Corinthians, we are a theatron, a theater, in which the world can see the working of God. And he is called to proclaim the gospel among the Gentiles. He has a specific kaleo, which is not the same as our kaleo. And that's why, that's exactly why, when you're doing Bible studies in your congregation or whatever, you can't make this cheap, quick, dirty, and nuclear move. Everything that Paul says about himself applies to all Christians. No, it doesn't. In general, there are external entailment problems with that. And what about for those of us, well, obviously everyone here, going into the ministry? Right. And you compare yourself to what Paul's call is? No. You still just... I, because, now I don't, I don't want to get into this, Oz. I don't think, Paul was not a pastor. Paul was an apostle, a teacher, and an evangelist. And you are going in, most of you, to the parish ministry, and that's something different. See, that's something different. I mean, you know, take as an example this phrase about husband of one wife. We've talked about that. Now, if that is actually to be seen as you, you should be married, which I think you can argue for, Paul wasn't. See? So you can't say, Paul isn't married, therefore I shouldn't be married. Can't do that. Can't make those external entailment moves like that. Okay. Um, all right, good job. Um, thank you for the, the passages that you guys were able to come up with. Now, for tomorrow, for tomorrow, we're going to go on to nine. I want your papers. Before we go on to those papers, however, I am going to take a number of your papers from eight because a number of them ask very specific questions, and uh, at least one uh, had a cry of complete desperation. Okay, so we'll see you tomorrow.